Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Struggle podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Brandon Roberts back on the show. It's been a while. Four years ago, he came on the podcast, talked all about sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. Now he's back and we're digging into some of his future research and things that he's been thinking about. He has a PhD in muscle biology. He's a natural bodybuilder. He is a prime candidate to come on the Revive Stronger podcast. And it's a really, really great chat that we had. First, we just dig into some of what he's been up to with his own training, nutrition, that sort of thing. And then we really dive into a question that's maybe come up on the podcast, but it's been fleeting. We haven't gone into it in depth. And now we really get into the weeds of this question where we're talking about NSAIDs and things like paracetamol and their relationship with muscle gain and gym performance. And that's an area that Brandon has been working on and he's gone quite in depth on and will be doing future research on as well. We talk about that and maybe some other things that you can do to restore your recovery, uh, joint and ligament health, this sort of thing. So if you're interested in all of that, that's going to allow you to train longer and harder then you should definitely listen to this podcast and it's a fantastic chat. Now, before we dig into that, I just want to remind you guys that at Revive Stronger, we are online coaches. We take that seriously. We keep everything very personal through our communication channels where we have video weekly check-ins where you can communicate to us nice and clearly. And we obviously take care of everything from your training, nutrition, supplementation. If we want to dig into that, we like to look over form videos. If you're a competitor, we're going into peak week. Everything is managed. And again, we like this dynamic dynamic relationship where we also want to answer your questions, educate you along the way. So you can also take everything you've learned, apply it maybe to your clients or to you in future. So if you're interested in very comprehensive online coaching, then definitely check out that will always be linked in the description below. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Brandon. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Brandon Roberts back on the show. Uh, it's been a while. It's actually four years since we recorded our last episode, Brandon, which I, I can't believe. Uh, I keep saying this, I keep repeating it to, to guests who I haven't had on a while that I can't believe time has flied by so quickly. But it was episode 174. We're talking about sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't have left it so long, but uh, I think you've been busy too. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me um, back. Four years. Holy smokes. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And that was back when like the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy stuff was really popping. It's kind of died a little bit since then. But again, yeah, thanks for having me. No, absolutely. And so uh, people who aren't aware of uh, Brandon, he has a PhD in muscle uh, biology. So like, like got the uh, academic side complete there, but is also a natural bodybuilder. So competes regularly himself. I think I was just saying last time you came on, I think you'd recently just like done a competitive season where again, looking completely shredded um, and, and diced. So I guess it would be interesting to hear uh, like a life update, but also like a, a bodybuilding update in those past four years, kind of what's, what's been going on with you, Brandon? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm up in Boston now. Um, I do a little bit more like military oriented research, uh, always have the, you know, heart and soul of a bodybuilder, always interested in hypertrophy, um, working on a couple of different projects, but I think, yeah, about four years ago, I had just competed and then obviously we had COVID. Um, so I had a good season. I think I took overall in one, but I didn't get my pro card, um, which is, you know, always kind of the goal, uh, and then to compete at that next level. So there's a, there's a little bit left in the tank, I think. Um, but with COVID, you know, couldn't make any gains. Right. And then the next year it was kind of like not great either. So I've really only been training like what I would say super well for about a year and a half. Um, and as you know, Steve, like when you're on the upper like levels, it's really hard to just stack on muscle. So 
I may have put on a kilo of muscle over that time, which is enough to show up in like on, on stage, um, but probably not quite where I want to be at. Uh, so I think right now I'm still just like building a little bit. I think maybe next year or so um, might compete. The uh, gotta get the family on board, you know, because it's like yes, it's like an endeavor, right? And nowadays you prep for like six months or something. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my update. I am like I was, I did kind of like a comparison side by side for uh, yesterday and like a couple years ago. And I'm like, no, I've I've put on some muscle, but still always room to improve. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think it was. Like the COVID period, uh, I think for some people they managed to like scrape through, and I, I did my best in like the uh, the little flat that we were in at the time, and like trying to get as much equipment as possible. But and some people landed on their feet, whether or not they owned a home gym already or had access to a gym like privately that they could get to. But some people, you like people, I remember at the time I was getting frustrated because people were like, if you want it bad enough, you'll continue your bodybuilding throughout this time. I'm like hey like people have families they have like only a, a certain amount of space like there's it, it, you can't just want it bad enough like there's some real limitations that people have so i guess you were one of those people to just like uh, you, you i'm assuming you really wanted to continue of course but you just it just wasn't there for you at the time yeah and i even tried oh man do you remember when bands got really popular and like everybody was getting them on amazon and stuff yeah i tried i tried like band workouts and like these are miserable um <laughs> and then i ended up like tweaking a muscle and i was like this is super stupid um so yeah again tried but you know didn't have a home gym our gym shut down like even within our research facility where we had a gym like a full-fledged gym it was like no you can't go there i'm sorry yeah it's uh so frustrating and it, it feels like a I don't know distant memory now thankfully but uh such a wild time i've still got all the equipment it's like in storage somewhere in this house and i, I need to really sell it because i'm like i'm like I'll, I'll keep it just in case i'm like i haven't actually got space now we've moved into this house i don't know where i'd use it it's like an old victorian house with no no a barbell's not going to fit in any one room let alone be safe to lift so yeah fingers crossed nothing like that ever happens again to us uh, with, I guess, actually interesting with bands, because I guess now, especially with the research coming out, which I'm sure you've seen with kind of uh, the kind of resurgence of stretch mediated hypertrophy, training at long muscle lengths and like bands being almost the opposite in terms of ideal for kind of trying to train with load at long lengths. Uh, is that something you have been incorporating within your own training? Have you experimented with anything? Like, have you changed anything with your own training or programming for clients? Yeah, so I have, um, I've incorporated a little bit more training at length i think there's a couple studies that have come out recently and it's like all right i'm not sold on on it being like de facto way better but i do think you know in a well-rounded program now i've shifted especially like my arm training to more um long length training so the tricep overhead extensions stuff like that a little more cable work um but I'm, i am very interested in like where that's going um and i think there's even I think I saw it yesterday, like a multi-site um, training study with like all the big names, like Schoenfeld yes. and Elms and all them. Yeah. So um, uh, that, and that's always been a dream of mine just to do like a multi-site study. Um, but yeah, I think it's coming. I, I, again, easy to incorporate, worth it, probably not detrimental. So I'm, I've changed my training probably a little bit. Yeah. 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 So I think that's where most people have gone. It's kind of like, 
again, if something's been working so well, if it ain't broke, it's not a case of don't fix it, but maybe just slightly tweak it, modify it to make it even better. And yeah, that study will hopefully confirm some things for us because I know some people are like, hey, maybe it's just a short-term adaptation uh, and things like this, whereas this will be a long-term study, which is going to just give us a, a few more insights to that as well and see what's kind of going on. So yeah, that's that's great. And then in terms of your kind of um, study and things like that, you mentioned you're working more with the military. And is there anything there that's kind of been exciting for you? Um, yeah, actually, so... You know, it, when when we study hypertrophy and stuff, bodybuilders are like the elite, right? And you're always like, let me get some some bodybuilder muscle or some like, you know, some high level people. And they're always like, you want to take muscle and study me? No, I don't like, I don't know. Maybe sometimes you can get it, sometimes you can't. Um, but with the military, I'm working with some like special forces and stuff. And like, they're all about it. They're like, you want to optimize me? Please take it. Like, yes, we support whatever you want to do. And, and they're much like the... Uh, physique community where like they're really wanting to elevate like whatever it is like if it's a new supplement if it's like you know you see like the the different methods come out and you're like oh i don't know if that works like they're trying it so so that's a lot of the the line of research is figuring out what works more from a performance perspective than like a, a muscle growth perspective um and implementing that type of stuff so it's been a lot of fun is there anything i don't know if this is something you would have looked at is there anything like with sleep and things like this is there like because i guess for those guys I, I i'm so ignorant to all of this but like out in the field they're trying to maximize like recovery but they also have like probably not much time to sleep i don't know if there's anything you've worked on in that regard yeah so we've got a couple studies going on like just simple sleep extension which if you think about like if you and you've talked about it on your podcast um sleep's so critical and we know that um so if you're only getting four hours a night you're probably not in a good spot, right? Especially extended periods. And then you layer on like uh, caloric deficit, um, real environmental stress, like altitude, heat, cold, um, people shooting at you. That's always stressful. Um, you get this kind of like multi-level thing. So we we're working on um, when you're not out in the field, like, hey, let's optimize sleep at home so that you're prepared and you're ready. And then when you do have to suffer because you can't control it, you're not as like beat down essentially so yeah they have and the whole like military complex has issues with sleep just like general society um so working on that is always a a, a good thing so yeah yeah that makes that makes tons of sense um cool so yeah i mean the the, the main subject that i had to bring you on about was talking about something that i think might have like popped up here and there and some q a's maybe on the podcast but it's never really been like a deep dive and I think it's a good reminder for people because it's essentially something that people might take on a very regular basis in terms of uh, like a day-to-day -day kind of thing that they might be taking. So basically talking about the uh, relationship between kind of NSAIDs, uh, things like paracetamol as well, and their relationship to muscle gain, gym performance, because I know that's been an area you're looking at. And so a lot of people will be taking this, whether or not it's like for a headache, maybe a muscle ache or like a joint ache, and they're trying to reduce inflammation or kind of increase pain tolerance. And... I always like to say for every gimme, there's a gotcha. So it's like nothing in life comes for free. And it's, it's kind of like that for, for NSAIDs, I think, where it's like, hey, there might even be a negative impact on some of these adaptations that we're trying to get for hypertrophy. Maybe similar to something that's super popular at the moment. It's like cold therapy stuff. It's like, hey, doing that post-workout, it might not be the best thing if you're trying to kind of um, grow as much muscle as possible. So yeah, I'd love to hear your current thoughts surrounding the use of those uh, in regards to people trying to maximize like muscle growth. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a, like this big giant grant to study NSAIDs. And so it's kind of multifaceted, but one of the aims is like muscle growth, muscle recovery. Um, and so what we kind of see, and this is an athlete's recreational elite, doesn't really matter, um, is a, a fairly high NSAID use. So it can be anywhere from like 30 to 50% of people will just take NSAIDs for pain or just to, to feel better or inflammation, like you said. Um, now, when you take NSAIDs, there are a couple different types. So you have like your uh, ibuprofen, and then that's probably the most standard, the um, acetaminophen it's, uh, in America. And then you have kind of like other ones that aren't prescribed as much. Uh, and the basis of these is blocking these, these COX enzymes. And so each one has a stronger kind of affinity for these COX enzymes. And that's where we're trying to figure out um, is one NSAID better than another for example, for muscle growth or endurance uh, adaptations or uh, recovery, pain, things like that. Um, so that's kind of the, the big picture of the research. And so if we look at the literature, um, there's been quite a few studies on NSAIDs, which is nice, uh, especially in the muscle growth area. Uh, and what they've all kind of found acutely at least so you do an exercise session maybe you take a inset before or after and then you look at like muscle protein synthesis that's pretty common um, most of them find that there's like a blunting of muscle protein synthesis so it doesn't go up as much which you would think all right that means if i'm kind of hindering that just like the cold therapy i think was shown recently i'm not going to grow as much muscle over the long term right and so um there's there's really only a couple studies looking at like long-term resistance training adaptations um, and they're kind of mixed. So we're kind of hoping to fill that gap a little bit uh, to figure out you know, which inset is better. Most of them only test like one or two, we're doing like five. Um, and what what's the, you know, certain adaptations that we can maybe use for one instead of another. So that's the, the grand idea there. Yeah, I think that's useful because uh, it's yeah again kind of similar to the the training at long muscle lengths maybe and saying hey we're seeing uh, I know a lot of like resistance training protocols are maybe the studies only up to twelve weeks it's like but we we don't know if that continued or uh, there was that deload study which you might have seen where they deloaded uh, one group deloaded after like four weeks uh, three weeks or three or four weeks of training and then the other group didn't but it's like what if they just continued to do that and not take deloads versus deloading kind of um, every now and then like who would see the outcome then like in the short term we didn't really see anything so it's it's like hey okay it looks like there's this short term win in terms of pain reduction but also potentially there's a long term cost here in muscle growth but it's it's like you said we we haven't necessarily actually been out we, we can't say that that's definitely the case yeah and i think one of the things that really surprised me when i started looking into insets was you know you take them for pain and for like physique or recreational or like even elite athletes they take them for like muscle soreness like that's the predominant reason you, you probably take them maybe you got some other like soft tissue injuries or something um but when you really look at the the literature they don't really help for muscle soreness. So then it's like, okay, well, if they're not going to help you uh, analgesically, like feel better, then you must be taking them for inflammation. Or maybe you just don't know and you assume, right? You have that kind of placebo effect of, oh, I feel better because I took you know, ibuprofen or um, naproxen or something like that. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, wow. So I'm, I'm taking NSAIDs and they're not actually helping, um, but 
I'm still taking them just because it's it's something that I think society has, you know, reached for a drug. And and the physique world is way better about this than some others. Um, where it's like pain, reach for a drug. So I think that was the first thing I saw. And I was like, wow, okay. So we really need to look into what are these insects doing and when do we want to use them? Because if they're not even helping with like muscle pain, like what what if they're and they're hurting long term potentially why are we even taking them out in the first place and so that's what i've kind of kind of started talking to athletes and a lot of different populations about is you know do you need that or are you just like is it a habit you know is it something that like your parents told you here take this way back in the day and you just like never really thought about it and now you're, you're an athlete or something like that and you just your coach says yeah take some you know, take some drugs you'll be fine you know put some ice on it walk it off um so i think when i saw that i was like ooh, there's definitely something here and so Moving on to like long and short term, kind of going back to that, there's there's only there's two studies. One is I think it's twelve weeks, and they take like a low dose NSAID, ibuprofen for like four hundred milligrams, which is about a third of the max dose you would you would give or take. Um, and they did a bunch of bicep. It's, it's a bicep curl study, which is awesome. Um, but they did, uh, you know, 12 weeks. They only took it right before their workout, like you would if you were kind of feeling a little soreness. Um, and they didn't really see any changes or like prevention of muscle growth. So that's like one side of the coin where it's like, okay, maybe low dose, like if you're going to take it, maybe just don't take the maximum dose. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I generally don't reach for the maximum dose of anything. Um, so then you know there's there's another study that did like the max dose and they're like all right well this is blunting some of those adaptations we want so i think that's the other area we're trying to figure out it's like okay if we if we take you know a low or high dose does it matter yeah probably so yeah that makes sense like what's the saying that the kind of devil's in the dose or like the the poisons yeah. in the dose type of thing like everything's poisonous if you have enough of it so it's like here if, if you just have a small amount maybe you can kind of abate the, the the risks and concerns is there anything i remember hearing something along the lines of when um depending on the age of the population it seemed to have differentiating effects and there was maybe something to i don't know as you get older injuries and things crop up a bit more so if it helped with pain tolerance for those individuals they could actually see a beneficial impact of taking such a thing has that been looked at am i right in thinking that i just remember that at some point came up yeah you're you're 100 right and so that's where the literature is kind of like trying to figure out the differences between young healthy people and like older adults who you know maybe have some like level of basal inflammation so we call it um inflammation where you kind of just like have this like very low moderate systemic level of inflammation um, that contributes to all kinds of problems like fat gain um you know osteoarthritis all things like that and so when you see um older adults take it you're right it, it kind of dampens that like normal inflammation they might have and so then it's like okay the muscles no longer dealing with and their bodies are no longer dealing with this this fight against normal inflammation now they can use those resources to grow muscle or get stronger or whatever that may be um, and that's where you really have to look at the the nuance in some of these studies is yeah actually there's two or three studies that show maybe it's beneficial for older adults with some some kind of background inflammation we'll call it that makes sense and i guess you could further apply that to younger people who 
maybe you're in a situation where they're like in that sort of inflammation state, but it might be something that's not a chronic. It might be like an acute case. So do you have any like um, practical recommendations for people that you work with, like your use case, when to have it, dosages, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So um, I would say most of the literature is based around like ibuprofen, so Motrin and Advil. Um, and that's where you, that one specifically seems to potentially cause some, some adaptation problems, whether it be muscle growth or other things. So what I've started to do is kind of steer people more towards uh, acetaminophen or Tylenol. Um, uh, it's per paracetamol in your country. Um, so there's all these names. I have like a list over here. I'm like, uh, there's like 30 different versions of these things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they all have like brand names. I'm like, ah, make sure you pronounce that one right. Um, or mention that one. So yeah, I, I steer people towards that acetaminophen a little more now because you get the pain effect. It's it, it also influences the same enzymes, but not as much, the Cox enzymes. Um, and I always generally tell people like, all right, if you're not injured, or you're not like seeing a doctor and they're telling you take these NSAIDs, right? You're not pres prescribed medically. Um, just go for like the minimum dose you can, and that's generally going to be safer. So if it's one pill, you know, right before your workouts or maybe in the morning when you get up or something, or like maybe before you go to sleep to kind of ease some of that pain, um, that's probably what I would recommend. Um, but you know, it's, it's pretty nuanced too. So. Yeah, with uh, paracetamol, and that's Tylenol, right? Uh, which I've heard yeah. of both. So uh, I've always, I think paracetamol, from what I remember, it's not like anti-inflammatory. So I think that's where you mentioned it's not having the same impact. So if I've personally, I try and avoid them as much as I can, just off the little I knew about them and being like that kind of guy that's like, I've got to maximize hypertrophy at all costs. Like I'm not going to take these unless I really have to. So if I've got like a headache or something, I will do my best not to kind of take something. But if I do, I tended to go towards paracetamol and then taking like half the dose versus the recommended doses, like two for an adult of the, of the capsules. I don't know how much it is. So that sort of thing is the kind of the route you would go down for people is like take the non-anti-inflammatory one, less of the dose, um, and only if you really have to. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're just like kind of sore. Um, you know, a lot of the, the studies use um, like muscle damaging protocols and that's... I think especially for your audience like that's not necessarily what we're doing it's not like we're going into the gym and just like di completely destroying our muscles with a bunch of eccentrics on exercises we've never done and so when you go to kind of extrapolate that it's like all right so it may may influence inflammation great knock it down of course that's what it's used for but like you and i when we go to the gym we're, we're probably not inducing a ton of inflammation um, so yeah, that's the, the, the way I would lean now is more towards that acetaminophen, um, versus, you know, your NSAIDs. There's even over here, there's this like push, not push. There's a, there's a lot of prescribed NSAIDs. Um, and in athlete and military populations, they'll go like full maximum dose for like six weeks or like four weeks. And that's, I think where you really have to be careful. Um, that's again for treatment purposes. So I actually myself was on was 1200 milligrams of ibuprofen for like six weeks. And I was like, this is rough. Like I can, I can feel, I just, you just don't feel quite right. Um, but it worked and like it did what it was supposed to add some inflammation, like in my heart. So I took care of that and I was okay. like, cool, 
yeah um but you know if, if it's not that if it's just training purposes it's just kind of minimum dose it is what i tell people yeah no I'm, I'm sorry to hear that but i'm glad you got through it and you're okay and obviously that's a yeah. use case where you'd be a crazy person not to kind of follow your doctor's guidelines there yeah yeah is there um, a I was just going to say, is there a consequence of my head's going down the line of you increase your pain tolerance, but your body is giving you pain for a reason, if it's like joint or connective tissue pain, so you reduce the pain tolerance and so then you push, is there then potentially a longer term cost of, hey, now you've actually just made something worse, now you feel the pain like double down, sort of like you're tired, you take caffeine, but then you hit this kind of just crash. Yeah, so that is, that's one of the areas that we're looking into also, it's basically overuse injuries where yeah. I can now do more or you know, the military case, it's like, Hey, I have to do this thing to get through this thing. I need to take these insets. And now because I can do the thing, I go longer, harder and more, more volume essentially. And that's going to cause some kind of real like overuse injury. So you see a lot of, um, the muscle is pretty plastic, so it kind of adapts fairly quickly. Um, but like soft tissue injuries, um, kind of those niggling injuries that really don't ever go away, like elbows, shoulders, um, connective tissue, like you said. So, yeah, and that's that's the trouble with it. Um, but if you use it smart, I think you can kind of, you know, get around some of that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a per like individuals, individual like use case scenario. And I imagine for a lot of people listening, at least in my experience, it's something where you probably don't have to consider using it unless like the doctor's like suggesting it. Otherwise, outside of that, you probably get away, like you said, with very low doses and it shouldn't therefore be an issue. It's short term, low dose, nothing to stress too much about in terms of impacting long term adaptations. Yeah, yeah. And we are we're trying to find alternatives, too. So um like, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but like tart cherry juice is a big one where it's like, take it, it reduces inflammation a little bit. It's not the same mechanisms. Um, so if we can find something that you can still get some of the pain reduction benefit from, but it's you know, a different mechanism, maybe it doesn't influence the, um, you know, the muscle protein synthesis aspects as much. That's, that would be a nice alternative too. That's probably a couple of years down the line or more, but there are there are other things you can take, um, tart cherry juice being one of them. So I've actually started using it a little bit and, and like the evidence isn't super strong. I just wanted to like anecdotally test it. I'm like, does this help? Um, and for Dom's, it, it, I think it did. My, like my wife took it too and she's like, I think it helps, but I don't know. So, you know, in of one, um, there's some alternatives, maybe explore it a little bit, might be worth doing. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we 
get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better. If you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. Yeah, I've seen tart cherry juice also for sleep, I think. Like, does it have quite a bit of melatonin within it too? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the other thing. I, I tried that recently because, um, you know, self-experimenter over here. And it, like, I sleep really easily and well, so I don't have sleep problems. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll lay down and, like, three minutes later, I'm, I'm passed out. Good. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think... I haven't looked at the literature recently on sleep, but I think some people are using it for that. Yeah. And you mentioned some others. Are there, is there anything else people can use as opposed to like tart cherry juice or using the NSAIDs? Is there other ways that you kind of would advise your clients to go down in terms of recovery that won't have the potential negative outcomes that we're looking to kind of circumvent? Yeah. So I think um, like massage is a pretty good one, especially for muscle. There's a, a, a lot of literature coming out or it's been out it's kind of like in different populations again sometimes we, we read the literature and we're like okay so in older people it does this and in injured people it does this and in healthy people it does this so we kind of like blend them and try to figure out what's going on um but there's a good bit of research showing that uh massage kind of helps muscles recover and i was surprised by that because i was like you know it feels good but is it actually doing a thing in the muscle? And then um, we had a, a scientist come present and it, they had like muscle data. And I was like, oh, okay, it's actually doing something. So this is an area where somebody needs to dive in and really like look at, you know, from a hypertrophy standpoint, because they were doing it not from a hypertrophy standpoint, they're just like recovery. Um, so I think that's one, you know, the, the cold stuff is again, it, it's case use and, you know, you don't want to go do cryotherapy, but a little bit of ice to reduce inflammation on an actual injury helps sometimes. Um, heat ice, kind of that that old school rice, um, rest, what is it, rest, ice, elevate, and compress. Um, there's not, that paradigm's also shifting a little bit, but most of the time it'll, it'll get you through um, versus taking like a drug or something, so. I can remember uh, we have a physio on our team, Mike Chalice, and he was recommending to use ice, like I had a, a knee issue. So I was using ice like a, before, well, I was using it around workouts, but then particularly like in the morning before a workout. And then I have a, one of the Theraguns because I don't go, I don't have somewhere I can go get a massage and I don't have anyone at home that can do that for me uh, in the moment. So I was just using like the, the Theragun around my knee. Um, and it seemed to have some acute benefit there, whether or not some of it's placebo, maybe some of it is driven down the lines of like similar to massage or something like that. But at least anecdotally, I've seen those things to be useful and then obviously uh, you will probably say this too like a warm-up like the number of people i just see right just they just load up with plates and they don't warm up and i'm like that's certainly not going to be helping yeah yeah i actually i had a, a good reminder of that so i play um i play a lot of soccer and, and like so that's my two loves like bodybuilding and soccer and they always kind of conflict a little bit um but i had a, uh recently i'm you know getting older i'm not old but like the warm-up really like needs to be done or like mid game, I'll be like, Ooh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't warm up properly. This, this, you know, this, uh, game, maybe I'm, I'm feeling it. And, um, a lot of clients don't warm up and it's, you know, as a young, like college age kid, like I, 
I didn't either. I'll be like truthful with you. But then as I've like gotten older and, and more seasoned and kind of learned my body a little bit, it's like, no, a, a good, you know, strategic warm up for maybe upper body or lower body. You don't have to do it if you're not working it out, obviously. Um, goes a long way, even like five to seven minutes, super long way. Do you have like a general, just because I, I always say it, like I, I say, yeah, do a warm up. And I think people know how to warm up, but I'm surprised by the number of people that don't really understand what like a, a good warm up entails for like hypertrophy training. Maybe do you have like a, a general guideline you give maybe like an upper or lower body one to your clients and one you follow yourself? Yeah. So if it's upper body, usually I'll go get on the, um, the rower for like 90 seconds or so and just kind of work and it's completely wrong for rowing um but work different like muscles so i'll pull like high or low or switch my grip a little bit um just to get some blood flow and, and muscle temperature up and like body temperature up because that's the whole goal is like um elevate your your tissue temperature so it's ready to get into different ranges of motion um so for upper body i'll, I'll row for a little bit usually i'll do some like uh was it eyes y's and t's so, like rotator cuff stuff yeah. um because that's a that's a pain point for for me um and most people and then after that i'll usually just do like a really light set of a couple of the first exercises you know if it's a, a lat pull down in a seated row i'll just do like okay we're gonna do like 40 percent of what i'm doing and just do like five to ten reps um and then go from there i think once you get like through the first couple exercises in your workout you're pretty warm right? Especially if you're doing, you know, different um, muscle groups. So that's what I would, I would recommend for like an upper body. Um, for a lower body, usually I'll like walk, usually I walk to the gym. So that's a, a bit of a warm up, but then maybe hop on a cycle for again, one to three minutes, nothing really long. Um, and then do a little bit of mobility work. So I have like hip stuff for my PT or a couple different stretches um, that works pretty well and um sometimes even like a little foam rolling to get that uh, range of motion effect which is yeah. um useful when squatting right for example um and then again just a couple exercises go through them kind of warm up a little bit uh nothing super fancy it's not like um you know uh, if you remember uh kelly starrett's his like book of stuff it's like not that Supple it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've got it on <laughs> the shelf <laughs> Yeah, I definitely went through a phase in college with that, but pieces of that are useful. So I think if you can figure out your body and where you're struggling, maybe, and just hit that before your session, you know, that's, that's fine. Like three, like I said, three to seven minutes, somewhere in there, doesn't make your workout super long. You're not doing a whole mobility session. Um, and that's what I would, I do personally. And then that's what I tell most of my athletes and stuff. Yeah, I was literally as you were, you brought up his name just before I was about, as you were going to stop, I was going to be like, did you ever like do the supple leopard and have all of that? And I could, there was that time where people were spending like the length of their set, half their session was warming up. And I was certainly there where I was like, oh, I got to foam roll everything. I've got to do like, I can't remember what it was. I had like little, oh, I'd, I bought lacrosse balls and then I'd make a peanut out of two of them and like do that down my T-spine and Man, yeah. it was just a lot of wasted time. And I ended up bruising a rib because I was like foam rolling it so hard. I was using the lacrosse ball so hard. I ended up like bruising a rib, which just then took me out of the gym. So yeah, you can take it too far as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's styled back, you know, that was a while ago. But yeah, um, every time I, I tell the coaches and the athletes, I'm like, every time something gets really popular, like definitely try it. Like 
experiment a little bit, but then take what you think really helps out of whatever that new thing is and just kind of keep it. Be like, ha, I learned this one exercise or this one hand switch or something. And then just put it in your toolbox for later because like you'll use it eventually. So do you like any um, dynamic stretching, like arm swings, leg swings, uh, like lunging or something? Yeah, yeah. I try to do, so I'll do like just basic arm rotations for upper body. Um, it, it looks super silly. <laughs> like you like walk around and like swinging your arms everywhere and like <laughs> leaning on a pole and like stretching your pec a little bit. And um, So yeah, I think that's very beneficial, especially with the lower body and like you said, leg swings for squats. Those really help my just mobility, just like to get a little deeper, feel it a little bit better. Um, I do love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think what you said there's brilliant. That's also the way I tend to prescribe warm-ups too. And it doesn't have to be super long, comprehensive. Like you said, it's like minutes of time. It's not like half an hour that you have to be spending here. And, and like you said, individualizing it, you've got particular like tight road, like your rotator cuffs are an issue. Maybe someone's, they have another area that they really have to stretch out and kind of make sure it's very warm. Like my knee, I had to like, I was doing extra warm-ups on that to make sure that yeah. was good. And then that, the, the thing you touched on, I just want to double down on it so people know that part is that kind of acclimation of load and reps like dropping off so you do a small percentage of your working weight and you slowly go up to it reducing the reps so it's not fatiguing it's a warm-up but you mm. do work up to that weight you don't just suddenly like go from free bar to like 100 kilos whatever it is that you're trying to work with yeah yeah definitely and that's that's something i've learned again over time it's like those little things really add up and help your like longevity um because as really as physique athletes, we have it pretty good in terms of overuse injuries, like usually their shoulder or maybe like a knee occasionally. But like we don't put a ton of stress um, on a lot of our joints because we're working mostly in those upper ranges. Like strength matters, yes, but you know, you're not a power lifter necessarily, like everybody has their faces. So you have that freedom of saying, hey, I actually I enjoy this exercise in this 10 to 15 rep range and this other one i really like in this like 8 to 10 or, or 15 to 20. so i use those to kind of optimize each exercise too because we know that it's good to have like different levels of of reps hit different like aspects of the muscle but also like it doesn't really make a huge difference in terms of volume so that's that's the other thing that i've kind of grown into over the past like i don't know five or six years yeah no, that makes that makes tons of sense. Uh, so to shift gears a bit, I think we've probably covered. Do you feel is there anything else you wanted to say about NSAIDs and that element? Or I think I think we're good. I would just say okay. keep an eye out. There will be a couple papers probably coming out over the next six months from my group um, to really look at some of the mechanism stuff and like soreness and when and where how to use them. So awesome no that'd be really helpful for people because like you said there's not really clear guidelines out there it's just like the general discussion has been the one that we said before where it's like they maybe aren't the greatest to use and so i think even your practical take-homes from this already has been helpful and you do a great job i imagine you'll post it on your instagram as well and you do a great job posting kind of almost research reviews over on your instagram with the infographics and that's something i was gonna if you if we had time for it i was gonna ask you about collagen which i know you recently did like a series of posts about it. And that's again, something probably similar to NSAIDs that's kind of come up and been spoken about and then kind of moves out of favor. And I think a lot of people, when they think of collagen, 
they just think, hey, it's a like terrible protein source, don't use it. And they don't really think much of it past that. But I know that you've looked into it a bit further in terms of are there any other use cases? So I'd love to hear kind of, again, framing it for physique athletes, like what role could collagen play for them? Yeah, so I feel like when I, I was initially looking at collagen, I was like, yeah, this is an inferior protein, like duh. And then, so, you know, you see that, you know, the big fitness people talk about it and it's like, this is garbage. And I'm like, okay, let's look at this from a different angle. And the angle I took was like rehab. Um, Cause again, military perspective, people get injured. How can we help them get better outside of just the muscle, right? Cause muscle recovers pretty well. Um, and so as I'm looking through this, I'm like, okay, so the main differences are the amino acid profile. And when you look at um, proline and hydroproline, there's uh, glycine, those aren't as high in like whey. Um, so that's the biggest difference between them. And when you look at whey, it's like leucine, 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 isoleucine, BCAs, right? Gold standard and your essential amino acids. And so that's the big difference. But when you look at the, like, what is your tendons and collagen and cartilage and all of this stuff made of, it's like, well, it's, it's collagen. It's not muscle fibers it's just different components of proteins and so then i was like well okay so if we ignore the fact that muscle protein synthesis like yes collagen is not good for it and we look more from a recovering rehab side is is it helping with joint recovery or tendon or or you know different things like that and it there's some preliminary data and that's why i kind of dug into it where it seems to help um osteoarthritis in older adults, right? It seems to help uh, rehab in athletes. Um, it seems to help kind of all of these different things like tendon, Achilles tendon repair. There's a study where it helps in that. And I'm like, all right. And then Keith Barr, who's um, it's like a, another muscle researcher, but it's kind of like recently delved into um, other tissues, had a beautiful study where he gave people um, collagen as gelatin. So and then had him jump rope and looked at um, kind of collagen synthesis and it was up compared to like the placebo. So he didn't have like a weight, but that wasn't the point of the study. So it's like, all right, now, now there's not only this good body research, but there's these people that I really trust in like their scientific rigor doing things showing, oh, maybe it is beneficial. So that's what kind of drove it. And that's what I would say, like, if you're in rehab or you're having a, a lot of trouble with um, recovery in your joints, your tendons, maybe even your bones, things like that, stress fractures, um, there's a good potential use for it. Uh, we're actually, I'm actually writing a big grant right now to really figure out, again, like the NSAIDs, where and when is it beneficial? Because if it is, it's super simple, right? It's like, you just have a little, like you could even combo it with your weight. Right, just throw a little protein shake, throw some, throw some uh, collagen in there, and, and see what happens. So, um, I think there's potential, and that's why I covered it basically on Instagram. I remember a while ago, and that name Keith Barr rings a bell. Yeah, but I remember seeing uh, someone. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. They were basically making gel, uh, like jelly pre-workout, <laughs> like with the gelatin, and then putting their pre-workout in it and eating it as like their pre-workout, uh, which was kind of uh, wild to me. Um, so at the moment, with kind of the application that's kind of been studied, is it something that you use at like pre-workout? And am I right in thinking vitamin C is sometimes something you take with that? 
Yeah, and that's that's another thing we're trying to figure out is normally it's um, so standard dosage would be like 15 grams of collagen with I think it's 200 milligrams of vitamin C. Um, so not a ton, but enough to kind of activate some of the enzymes you need pre-workout. Yeah. And so I don't I don't actually use it like right now. I did a little bit when I was rehabbing some stuff, um, whether it helped or not. I, I honestly I didn't I couldn't tell. But it was worth, you know, there's enough evidence for me to test it out a little bit. Um, but again, yeah, 15 grams right before a workout with some vitamin C. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about 15 grams, like it's not a lot in terms of like, oh, no, no, it's a low quality protein source. But I guess if you wanted to, you could just say, hey, don't count that towards your total protein if you don't want to. If you, but equally 15 grams for someone who like probably most of us overdo protein a little bit, if we were getting one gram per pound, we're probably still fine if 15 grams are coming from a, a lower quality source. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I would say. Like, just don't count it. Um, or like count it and your, your proteins. I, I've, the clients and coaches and stuff I've been working with recently, it's like everybody loves protein. Like, yes. it's like, you're getting plenty of protein. Don't worry. You're fine. Yeah. Uh, is there different types of uh, collagen to be aware of? Like, does that impact anything? Is that coming to it? Um, so there are different types and I don't even have like, I, I should have included um, like a recommended brand or something. Um, but I think the the main factors are high levels of glycine and proline. Um, and I don't even have like milligrams, right? So like for leucine, it's like you want three grams. Like I don't even have that number for those sure. those amino acids because we just don't know. Um, but I think as long as they're the predominant, which they should be in collagen, um, amino acids, you should be fine. And the 15 cool. gram dose really covers, like it's it's again, it's like saying, 45 grams of whey protein that whereas you may not need sure. 45 you probably need like 30 ish but you're covering yourself just in case yeah that makes so much sense and that that's nice because that kind of ties into the discussion around NSAIDs like it's maybe something someone who is dealing with uh some of these like uh, connective tissue issues they could try um adding in some collagen there and it, from what I've seen it's not I mean actually as far as I'm aware it's pretty ch cheap like it's not an expensive protein because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a waste product I guess for a lot of like on animal proteins yeah definitely so it's again it's it's it might be worth it um not for everybody but you know some people yeah awesome uh and then is there anything else you're personally working on that you can kind of uh i guess give us uh, insights into or anything within like our space that is taking your interest over the last few months um yeah so i am really interested in some of the and i follow the hypertrophy work like pretty closely. And I, it's funny because I actually review like peer review a lot of those papers because I'm not like, I don't work with those, a lot of those people anymore. Like I still, you know, talk to Helms and Schoenfeld all the time um, and tracks and people, but it's just like, you need people to review those studies who have the expertise. So I always get like the first peek at them and I'm like, Ooh, this is going to be good. Um, and then you see them come across social media and stuff like that. Um, so, so I think, uh, interested in, in how the the stretch mediated hypertrophy stuff is going to to pan out um still interested in like the optimal volume arguments you know it's like 12 to 20 sets per muscle group per group i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that area um and then actually so the the deload stuff i was 
I would love to do a deload study. I think I might be able to. I put one in for a grant, we'll and it didn't get it didn't get picked up yet. But we'll see, because um, I that that actual deload study that Schoenfeld did stemmed from a conversation we had at like one of the conferences. It's like, yeah, I'd really like to do deload stuff. He's like, actually, I've got a student who wants to do it, and I was like, this is how I would set it up, and so. I think they did it differently, but you know, it was like the beginning of like this line of research on deloads, and I was like, "That's super cool," because um, I I use them probably every six to eight weeks, depending on the volume. Sure. And then you know, some people do it four weeks or five weeks or whatever. Um, but that's another space that I'm really interested in, in terms of like things that I am researching. So the inside stuff is taking the bulk of my time right now, um, just writing all the research results up and stuff. Um, have a couple of different proposals, like one for college and going in. Um, I'm really interested in um, kind of the, the body recomposition world. So if you look at, and this is, your audience will find this entertaining. Um, one of the biggest studies ever published on body recomposition was just probably like a year or two ago. And it was in people joining the military and going through basic combat training. And so you have like these gen pop people who lose like three pounds of fat and gain like three or four pounds of muscle. And they're not even like hypertrophy training, they're just like exercising. Um, so that was pretty cool to see too. So I think that's that's about it in terms of like different things going on. We always have stuff like side projects going. Um, I, I will eventually circle back to like the hypertrophy world and do some research there. Like I'm doing some supplement research or some like drug research now um, that's, you know, applicable, but um, it's always a good time. So, yeah, no, that makes, that makes so much sense. And yeah, it must be uh, interesting from your perspective as well. Like see, I, I always think it's interesting for the people who are doing the research who then see it come through social media, but then you're like seeing it just before it goes to social media as well. So you get to see how everyone's like their takes on it and everything. And that must be super interesting and, and nice as well to be kind of ahead of that too, in some ways, uh, I guess uh, out of interest, I guess you've probably seen, or you would have seen it, um, Zach Robinson, uh, his meta aggression, looking at kind of uh, the relative proximity to failure and hypertrophy. Did that spark any new ideas or thoughts on your end? Um, so I, I need to really sit down and I like skimmed it, um, but I did oh, yeah, it's a big didn't paper. <laughs> yeah, I didn't review it. And I was like, okay, I need some time, like some coffee and like, you yeah. know, to really chew on this, the, the meta regression meta analyses, there's always, cause I review of a lot of those in different fields. Um, there's always some caveats of like, Hey, you know, this study was in there, but why was it in there? Um, not that they're doing anything wrong, but like, even in the, you know, the Stu Phillips study where they said like 1.6 gram per kilograms and they had that nice like better aggression that cut off. I'm like, actually those two studies weren't like these two studies weren't included and these two were, and I don't really understand why. Um, so I do want to like chew on it for a bit um, to figure out what's going on. Cause I do think that's an area that, Hey, if we, if we need to go to failure, if we don't train close, you know, basically we've always told people or I have, it's like, you want to be pretty close to failure, but like, if you don't go to failure, you'll probably get a little more volume like RPE nine. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that too. Yeah. I'll have to, maybe I'll cover that for my next social media post week. Ooh, yeah. Cool. Actually it's good. It's a good idea. 
yeah, it's uh, it's kind of that optimization question of like, because you have to rob Peter to pay Paul type of thing. If we're doing more like close to failure training, we probably can't do as many sets and like what's the best trade-off between the two. And so it's just a question, yeah, an optimization question. And uh, I don't know, it kind of just made me think, hey, it kind of validates why I see like anecdotally so many people who maybe train very close to failure or failure very often, but with lower volumes do so well still because it looked like maybe they're too far down that end, but maybe they're not. And maybe they're just, they're just having a different road to Rome in a sense. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and like just kind of digging into the NSAID stuff and having a really compre comprehensive review of that. Now, if I have anyone who asks me about it, <laughs> I know exactly where to send them, which is perfect. Uh, if people want to keep up to date with everything you're doing, I mentioned your Instagram, uh, definitely uh, let them know. Yeah. So I think most of the stuff is going to be on Instagram. I like, I create content for like weightology and I'm the CSO over at tailored coaching method. Uh, so I have a lot of stuff going on, so it's kind of like scattered. Um, but Instagram usually is where it ends up. I'm on Twitter too. Um, I think I right. even have an old wall. Yeah. Yeah. Or X, what is it called? That's what they're called, right? Oh, it might have changed. Yeah, I don't even know now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not up to date. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway, but you can always shoot me a DM on Instagram and like, I'll respond. So Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much again, Brandon. I'll make sure the Instagram's definitely there and uh, any other links uh, that are important to you, I'll have them down there too. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24 seven. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.